Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 9, episode 54. This is Writing Excuses, capstone to season 9. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And I'm slightly smarter than I was one year ago today. <laughs> we've that done... must be so nice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Luxury. Uh, we've done seasons like this, or episodes like this before, where we talk about what we learned. And it makes for a very good podcast to end a season with. It's the end of the year. It's the end of the season, and we want to talk about major events in our writing lives. We're actually going to start with Howard, because he had a very physical change yeah. to his process. Yeah, I did. Uh, the, the driving forces were, were twofold. One, uh, my eyes have changed, and I had to get some bifocals, and that changed where I was able to put my drawing tools. Mm. Because if I kept them down by my side, if I looked down for them, I got nauseous. And that is not a great way to keep working throughout the day, is with, you know, flashes of nausea. I know, I, I know of some performance artists that that might be perfect for. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not the medium <laughs> mm-hmm. I choose to work in. I like black and white. Um, <laughs> Splitting uh, pasta, the, that's the answer to that. The, the, yeah, the second thing is that uh, Dragon's Keep, where I do my penciling and inking, uh, uh, had a remodel, and when they remodeled, I, I had to draw at home for a while. I'd been having this issue with the glasses, um, and within two weeks, I realized I just have to be drawing at home. Uh, you know, I moved out of Dragon's Keep, where I had been making the comic for eight years. Right. This was this was really significant for me. Um, and, the the boy, the first thing I learned is that by being flexible about my workspace and deciding, uh, deciding to move things around, you know, being ergonomic about where I put stuff, you know, where does it really okay. make sense to put the tools, uh, made me choose the right tool at the right time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I stopped just using the circle template to make a straight line. I would actually use the parallel ruler, which it made for better art. I mean, I know mm-hmm. it sounds weird. But uh, the the extra effort required to grab the right tool stopped being extra effort. Um, but the uh, and that so that's something the reader might actually see. Uh, the thing that was most notable for me though is I'm working out of my house, and so my schedule changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dragon's Keep would open the door at eleven, and so I would schedule my day around making sure that by eleven I have things to draw. Right. And now I schedule my day around uh, when I am ready to start drawing, I need to have things to draw. Uh, and sometimes I would draw at, you know, 9 o'clock at night, and sometimes I'd roll right out of bed and start drawing first thing in the morning. Okay. And that that flexibility 
has also helped. That's that has helped you. It, oh yeah, yeah. It, it it has helped a lot. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are huge challenges, like the mm -hmm. fact that my my kitchen is, you know, like twenty one <laughs> steps away uh -huh. from my drawing table. Um, uh, but it's super helpful in that you know when I was at Dragon's Keep, while I could I could play music and obviously I could wear headphones in my office, I can crank the music up so loud that I cannot tell what is happening elsewhere in the house. Right. You know, my office just thunders with orchestral stuff, and I I like that. That's um, great. The oh and here's a, here's another here's another one that's really significant when I. And part of my process is that I will script in Microsoft Word, laying out the panel borders and the dialogue bubbles, uh, you know, where the dialogue goes. And then I would drive across town to do the drawing. And sometimes uh -huh. I'd realize, oh, this, this dialogue bubble is really not in the right place. The panel composition is going to be a little off. And then I would have to decide, do I want to get it done today or do I want to get it done perfectly? Uh -huh. And usually the decision was, I want to get it done today. Now... I kick my chair across the office, open up Microsoft Word, scoot the dialogue bubble, reprint the script, and I get it done right. I have reprinted literally ten times as many scripts once the penciling process has started uh, as I did for the first 14 years of the comic. So now, having both parts of your office in the same room, in the, you can yeah. get it done right, and you can get it done today. And I can get it done. And I can get it done today. And you know, I'm not kidding. The I used to be able to count on one hand the number of times where I'd touched a pencil to a strip and then decided, nope, this isn't going to work. i got to go fix it. Uh, I have two questions for you about this. First okay. off, how long did it take you to adjust? Were you use it right a first month? day, bam? Okay, so. It, it took me about a month. And, well, part of the delay is that I caught the flu in that time mm. period. <laughs> and so I spent, well, but the flu made a nice reset right. because <laughs> I was sick on the couch for a week. And by the time I was done with that, I was ready to just, I would work anywhere. Okay. You cleansed um, your habits and your bowels at the same time. It was a different flu, but yes. <laughs> I found that a major shakeup in my life like this, there are several weeks of kind of lost or partially inactive yep. um, work time. And the flu kind of helps with the reset. But I also find that during this time when something like that's happened to me, I look for excuses to keep me from writing because I am in such a, a befuddled state, um, and and yeah, yeah, I, I find that I I do both sometimes, it, and it depends on whether I I am expecting and anticipating the change. Mm -hmm. If it's a disruption that I'm not anticipating, then I t will sometimes use that as an excuse right. to not work. Mm -hmm. Whereas if it's a change that I'm anticipating, sometimes I find that I'm actually more productive after it. Right. Because I'm like, ah, now I have everything I need. Um, and most of the time, the change is not actually that significant. Right. So sometimes it will help me identify things that I'm procrastinating on. The piece too. that I've left out, I realize I'm running a little long here. The piece that I've left out is that there was a grieving process. Mm -hmm. uh, I would bet. I was, I, 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 Dragon's Keep provided me with, with water coolering. You know, I could get up, I could go talk to people, I was downtown, I got outside, and mm -hmm. and I I missed that. I mean, I missed that, and I was sad, and and I had to work around the fact that I was sad for having lost a thing. Mm -hmm. I think we will go long on this podcast, so it's okay. Um, I do have one other question for you. It feels like this all went very well for you, where certain things you mentioned raised red flags that could have been dangerous. For instance, being able to reprint off at any time, I can see that 
for some cartoonist or writer being the, the constraint that I can't print this off again forces me to work with what I have rather than rewriting endlessly and spending a lot more time. Or things like this, like the, the constraint of I have oh. to be ready by 11 and things like this. No, could, that, could that have gone very wrong? It could have gone very wrong. The nice thing is I have 14 years of practice mm -hmm. of forcing myself to work with what I've got. And so being able to slide across and fine tune, um, I, the habit is I'm going to bang this out today. I'm going to get this piece of work done. Uh, and Da Vinci's quote stays with me forever. Art is never finished. It's only abandoned. Uh, yeah. uh, I am willing to... I'm willing to abandon something after a certain point and put it up on the internet and call it finished. So uh, the other thing I'm curious about is um, you, you talked about how Dragon's Keep had provided you with water cooler, water coolering. Yeah. Um, are you building that in in other ways now that you don't have that external location? I'm not. Uh, I mean, unless you count Twitter uh, or... I mean, we have to count Sandra because, you know, I love being at home with Sandra and she and I have spent a lot more time together talking about fun things, but uh, it's, it is not the same as interacting with random strangers, which excites a different portion of the brain. All right, let's do Mary's. Well, my big thing, the thing that I've been struggling with for a while is uh, pacing when mm -hmm. I'm, and, and I don't mean walking in circles, but I mean... Uh, I, the the way a plot unfolds for the reader as we're going along, so that it's it's all happening at the right time, mm -hmm. and um, and this is the year that I feel like I finally figured that out, and it was a combination of working on two different books. One was uh, Valor and Vanity, mm -hmm. which was a heist novel, and so I was using a, a set structure for that. Right. And since I wanted it to be very fast and very page-turning, um, coming to a better understanding of exactly when to end chapters okay. and, uh, and when to not have a cliffhanger so that I could give the readers a little bit of a resting right. point while at the same time encouraging them to not set the book down. Right. Because that was, that was one of the things that I was struggling with um, my instincts, and I think this was partly coming from working with short fiction, is that I would often tie chapters up very neatly like the end of a short story, which makes the end of the chapter very satisfying, but it also gives you a good place to set it down. Right, right. So you need to have threads that are continuing, but a breather at the same time. Exactly. That is that is a, a, a skill to learn. What is there anything special that taught it to you, or is it just working on these projects and just beating your head against them long enough? Um, so a lot of it was the, uh, the the working on the projects because, as I said, I had I was working within a, a set structure. But then the the next book of Noble Family mm -hmm. um, is not uh, is. is the opposite of heist in uh -huh. some ways, and and I wanted to keep that that energy level going. So one of the things that was uh, I was um, looking at when I was doing that was that I actually experimented with moving where my chapter endings were as I was running it through some beta readers and looking mm. at their response. Wow! So it's an actual empirical. Evidence, yeah, and, uh, some experimentation. Experiment. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and it was really subjects. interesting. So what I found was that I had 
that there were two things that I could do, two mechanical things that I could do to the end of a chapter to, to make the, um, uh, to, con- to contain, uh, continue mm-hmm. a forward motion. Uh, and one was that I could end a scene slightly early mm-hmm. and then continue it in the next scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other one that was often, um, that, that I think had higher stakes or, or that I would use in higher stakes uh, situations was that I would begin the next scene at the end of that chapter. Okay, yeah. So that's that's the what we've said before in the podcast. The instead of opening the door and saying, "Oh my goodness, I can't believe that's what's behind there," and then cutting, mm-hmm. you open the door, show them what's behind there, and intrigue them with how that's going to change the yes. situation, and then stop the chapter. Yeah, and that's that is exactly what I was was doing, um, and it was it it was really helpful. And now I'm able to go back and apply that sort of thing to short fiction as well, because even though with short fiction, a, a lot of times it's it's easy to maintain tension because you don't mm-hmm. ever have a scene break. Right. But knowing what they're doing, it's like okay, so this is this is how I can use a scene break to k- keep that same sort of forward motion going, um, and also realizing that I could do uh, a whole bunch of short scene breaks and essentially have the training montage. Right. Mm-hmm. From from film. I think I've written a short story without a scene break. <laughs> is that the 4,000 word one? Yes. Yes. Yep. That's the one. I'm proud of you. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, I mean, the skill that you're talking about is made up of, of so many little things. Mm-hmm. The, the positioning of the scene breaks, the positioning of the chapter breaks, the, the scene sequel format, mm-hmm. you know, where you're deciding what to say in this scene prior to mm-hmm. breaking. That um, was... I'm glad you actually just said scene sequels format because that was actually one of the other things. Um, mm-hmm. When I structured uh, Of Noble Family, I went through and I, I did my usual outlining process. And um, I did not allot enough time for uh, for the sequel. For the for processing mm-hmm. what right. happened. Exactly. And, you know, in Shades of Milk and Honey, they would go and mm-hmm. Jane, no one would want to dance with Jane. And I can deal with that in a paragraph. With Of Noble Family, which I have joked about as being Regency Grimdark, right. there were bigger things going on, mm-hmm. and it took more processing time. So the book actually wound up being twice as long, but my readers, none of them noticed that it was twice as long. That's a really great accomplishment. I was very, very proud well of myself. Well done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, let's stop and have Dan do our book of the week. Okay, the book of the week is one of the coolest books I read this year. was uh, actually a nonfiction called Consider the Fork by B. Wilson. Uh, the audiobook's read by Alison Larkin. This uh, is basically, it is a, a incredibly engaging and readable history about the uh, history of cooking utensils, the history of, you know, why... Why did humans at some point decide they were going to take a big bucket of water and put it near their very precious fire? Mm-hmm. You know, 
Why are our spoons shaped the way they are? Why do some cultures use forks and other cultures use chopsticks? All of these things. It is one of the most fascinating world-building resources that I have ever come across because of the detail it goes into on so many different aspects of how our culture and our climate and our cooking utensils are all interrelated. That's awesome. Just a Did really it, wow. great book. Did it make you hungry? It made me hungry. Really, what it made me want to do is write a fantasy novel. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that, that, actually, that actually sounds perfect for our listeners. Audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. You can start a trial membership and pick up a copy of Consider the Fork by B. Wilson, read by Alison Larkin, for free. And then you, too, will be inspired to go eat and write a fantasy novel. So, speaking of fantasy novels, we're going to talk about <laughs> me next. Hey! <laughs> but mine is actually not about the writing. Mine's a little bit more along the lines of what uh, Howard's talking. It's not my position of writing, more than my position of myself. I have done a lot of traveling in the last few years um, with the end of the Wheel of Time and the starting of two new series of my own and things like this. There have been a lot of publisher demands and there's been a lot of fandom demands and I have had to learn how to get interrupted, and I'm still in the process of figuring this out, learning which projects I could work on on the road, and identifying times when I have to work on the road, and planning the projects to go with them. Dan actually did that for the Writing Excuses Retreat. You came to the Writing Excuses Retreat with a specific... Yeah, last yeah. year at the retreat, um, I got very little work done, despite having a, a relatively large amount of time, and what I learned is that this is an environment in which some projects work much better than others. So right. this year I came prepared rather with rather than a manuscript to work on, I brought a manuscript to copy edit and mm -hmm. then the play that I am trying to edit. See, and so. last year I came to the Writing Excuses retreat with a manuscript, but I had a really tight deadline and had a lot of momentum on this manuscript and the writing on it worked really well. When I went to the Writing Retreat this year, I came with a manuscript that I was in a trouble spot. There was something I was really working on, figuring out how to fix, and I kept, you know, it was this beating my head against the wall on it. And if I had had a couple of uninterrupted days staring at this project, I would have been able to get over that hump. As it was, with all the interruptions going on, I wasn't able to. And so I just kept going back to my outline or going back to revision rather than getting past this point that I felt I really should have gotten past. That is, that is an important realization. I've, I've yeah. figured out some of the same things myself. If I'm stuck... Often what mm -hmm. I want to do is get up from my desk and walk around and walk it off. And if I'm in a house where there are other people who yeah. want to talk to me, mm -hmm. I don't get to walk it off. I've walked into the middle of something else, yeah. and it, it was totally counterproductive. That's yeah. one of the things that I do. I, I worry about the people who are sleep, were sleeping underneath me at the retreat because my, the floor creaked in my room. And I did a lot of that get up and walk around, but I couldn't walk around the entire house, which I would normally do, because there were people everywhere. Um, and, it, it, and it made me self-conscious about that. You know, usually I'd turn on my music and i go. Mm -hmm. um, and so, that, but that was just one little piece of this. Another little piece is learning to say no more often. Yeah. Um, and it's very hard to say no. You spend the early part of your career, and many of our listeners are probably thinking, I'd love to be invited as guest of honor at conventions. It's a real honor. It's awesome yeah. to go to conventions. I would love to have my publisher demanding that I go to this Comic Con or, you know, doing a feature panel at BEA or something like that. It's a delightful problem to have on one hand, but on the other hand, there is so much of this that the constant interruptions made last year, in particular, a really slow year for me. 
Yeah. They are contrasting lessons. It's uh, there's learning to say no, mm-hmm. and there's also early on learning to say yes, I can do that, mm-hmm. and and yeah. tackling and it because it. you need yes. to learn yeah. to do that, and and making that transition from yes, I can do that to. I can do that, but I won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was having this conversation with uh, John Scalzi mm-hmm. because I have been struggling with a similar thing. And he said that part of the problem is that when you set boundaries for yourself, you are setting them based on where your popularity was yeah, and not anticipating where it is going. And so frequently the boundary that you set doesn't then work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't scale for for where you're going or forward. You, you set your boundary based on what you did. Like we've done this before. We're yeah. like, we want to do, you know, one event a month. We'll schedule our one event a month and we weren't planning into it the publisher coming and saying, right. we need you to do this thing. Um, or, you know, I got called by the History Channel and asked to appear on one of their programs. That's the sort of opportunity that doesn't happen very often no. mm-hmm. to writers at all. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, I should really go be on the History Channel, um, if only so I can ha- hold my hands in the right shape and say dragons when the alien gets <laughs> <laughs> um, Nice. Um, but, you know, being able to do these things, you know, impacts your ability to write. Yeah. And so yeah. really what you have to do is plan fewer than you really want to do because other ones will pop up. Now, but- I'm, I'm not quite as far along uh, in, in career popularity as you. This was the year I started to get a ton of uh, school visit requests. Yeah. And so this is the year I finally broke down and started charging a fee for that, Mm -hmm. which I've never done before because it's a school and I want to help them out. But if I'm going to lose that writing time, I have to... Side note on school visits, um, charging... There he is again. Sorry. Interruption. Oh, good heavens. We have a a possum. Hey, man. Hello. In, in there, the, there's there's in a the possum rafters. in the ceiling of where we're recording right now, and yeah. he's and just walking along patrolling. the I, I think we're just going to let you keep this in the episode because awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. Tiny possum. little pink feet and oh. a little delicate pink nose. Granted, concealing vicious teeth. Concealing yeah. vicious teeth. <laughs> Angry vicious teeth. I've seen those things. Yes. Yeah. In a, a dwelling place for humans. <laughs> yeah. School visits. Yes. Yes. Um, Possum school, visits, school, school visits. visits. I, I got this from several uh, <laughs> several authors local to us, Dan, mm-hmm. who who do a lot of school visits. What they found is that they always charge, even if it's only you know fifty or one hundred and fifty dollars, mm-hmm. because uh, once that transaction has taken place, the school will take you seriously and treat you way better. Mm. Yeah, uh, I've heard that before. It depends on the situation, but I've I've found that some of the ones that I charge for tend to be better. In general, I shouldn't say so. They in general, the ones that are better charged among for. the school, but things like that. I've also done school visits where the publisher has set them up, and I've made it very clear to them that I don't do school visits, and they make it very clear to the school he doesn't do school visits, but we'll do this one for you, and I've been treated like a king at those. <laughs> yeah, that's so, cool. and those are all free. Yeah, this has reminded me of the days back when I was touring mm-hmm. puppet shows to elementary schools, and. Sorry, having some flashbacks. All right, we do need to move on. This is a great topic. I do think it's important for you listeners also because you need to manage your writing time because a lot of you are working day jobs or night jobs, as I did. Um, but you, your writing tr- time is very precious, and a lot of you don't have a lot of it, so deciding which con to go to or things like this, you can easily fill yourself with the things surrounding writing, even if it's just being on Twitter, 
as opposed to writing. Yeah, and if I can I'll mm-hmm. say one last thing before we pass it over to Dan, which is that you need to learn what you can write while you're traveling. Yeah. And tr- do your best to train yourself to be able to write anywhere. There's mm-hmm. a, Nancy Kress tells a story of, or excuse me, Ellen Datlow tells a story of sitting in the audience with Neil Gaiman, uh, listening to something that was in translation and in all the parts that were in the other language that he couldn't understand. He had a notebook and was writing. And he said that he had to, he had to learn to write anywhere. Um, greatest example of this I've ever seen is Lauren Oliver, who does uh, young adult thrillers and science fiction. And uh, I've done two book tours with her. And, you know, in the plane, in the taxi, anytime we are not on stage doing something, she is writing her books on her Blackberry. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. It's amazing. She's written all her books on a little phone. And that this is where my novellas, a lot of them have come from, is me realizing I can write one of those on the road when I can't write a mainline project. Eric Flint says that he writes his short fiction traveling and his mm-hmm. long fiction at home. All right, let's move on to, Dan, what you learned this year. I think what I learned this year, which seems like a, a pretty late in the career to be learning this, but uh, I learned that I am writing for me. I, mm. I learned why I am writing. Um, you know, oh, welcome. <laughs> hey! <laughs> you know, I, uh, I remember a few years ago coming to the realization that, uh, you know, this is what I love to do, and even if I weren't getting paid for it, I would be doing it. This is different than that. This is more of a, you know, I, I do this because I love it, and I don't need to be concerned about other people. Uh, this, this was a big year for me in, in a couple of different directions. I, this is the first time I hit the New York Times bestseller list. Yay, yay, yay. yay. Congratulations. Um, Did they send you stakes? No. I can't yeah, remember no, what I got. I got something oh, cool. Oh, you did. Okay. But it was awesome. Thank you, publisher. Um, you know, and on the other hand, um, you know, I got, I got uh, actually a fair amount of negative publicity. Uh, mm. The Hugo nomination uh, came under somewhat abnormal circumstances and that came attached with a lot of uh, publicity a lot of surprisingly personal attacks uh, from some people and and what I noticed about both of those extremes was that neither of them really affected how or why I did my job you know I'm doing this for me I'm doing this because I love it and uh, if the rest of you like the books, then that's great. <laughs> I guess I'm lucky because uh, I think it was 12, 13 years ago, I realized Schlock Mercenary is the comic strip I want to read. Mm-hmm. And so I'm writing it because it, you know, that it's, that's the story I want to tell. It really has been for me the whole time. And, oh, the, the, the good fortune of having that be something that other people want to consume. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We had... Uh, at the Writing Excuses Retreat, we had a number of questions from um, from readers and listeners and writers, which all boiled down to the same thing, this idea of how do you keep writing when it's hard? Or how yeah. do you keep writing when you get a bad review? Or how do you keep, keep writing when... And all of these things, and the how do you keep writing questions all seemed to come down to this answer to me. Uh, for me, it was, it happened the year before I got published. I'd been writing for seven years and had sold nothing. And it was the same realization, the realization of, I write these books because I love them. And if I'm going to end up with a stack of them unpublished when I'm 70, all right then. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. nothing nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and I think that that's something that we don't 
talk enough about that it mm -hmm. is okay to write just because you love it. That, yeah. that a lot of people will get pressured into pursuing publication, but there's so many other art forms where we don't expect that. Right. That we right. don't expect people to go professional. That we don't expect our pianist that's wonderful next yeah. door to be playing for a symphony full time. Right. You know, my dad is this really accomplished amateur musician, and he plays music because he loves it. But, you know, and he's been paid a couple of times, but mm -hmm. that's not why he plays. And he goes to, you know, he's um, uh, multiples of decades old. And <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe most of us are multiples well, so, of decades yes, old. Yes, but, but he's, yes. He's, he's multiples of decades old and sitting in the room. And sitting in the room. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 he's my dad, and I don't know for certain that he's okay with me c citing his actual age. Can I? <laughs> no, he just left. He's, okay. he's seventy-five, seventy-six. He just had his seventy-sixth birthday. But he he actually goes to a music camp in the summer to work on making his fiddling better. And and I hear an improvement in him, but he's not doing it for anyone other than himself. Yeah. This is really important. I think every author needs to learn this lesson at some point in life. Every artist mm -hmm. needs to learn this lesson because you're going to have hard points no matter where it is in your career. You'd be a New York Times bestseller like Dan, who's been writing professionally now for almost 10 years, and still be learning this lesson. So um, I, we do need to talk about this more. We will hit on this idea some more, I think, in the coming year. But I do want to give you some forewarning, listeners. We <laughs> did an extra long episode to cap off our season this year. We are changing our format next year in some very fascinating, hopefully not too dramatic, yet still yeah. awesome ways. There, It'll there, still be 15 minutes long. Yes. <laughs> so, well, much more so than this week. <laughs> yes. uh, the changes next coming season 10 are subtle, mm -hmm. but uh, they're, they're very meaningful, and I think it's going to add a lot of value to the podcast. So make sure you how... come next week. Yes. yes, I love Weak. how Brandon describes it as dramatic and Dan describes it as subtle. You can have subtle dr drama. Yes. Yes. Can I say awesome possum and then kind of tie it together? <laughs> oh, there he is again, actually. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> the writing is oh. his mascot. The hey, awesome don't possum. run away till we get a photo, little possum. <laughs> I, I don't He's want like... a photo. He's like right over my head. <laughs> Howard, will you give us our writing prompt? Um, the sure. Writing okay. Yes, I, I, the writing prompt possum. is actually not going to involve a possum. Write uh, the eulogy. What, uh, what, did, what did you accomplish at, or learn this year, um, and and this is more. And I don't want this to be a New Year's resolution. What is it that you are hoping to learn about your writing, about your art, about your craft in the coming year? Now, this comes complete with a little bit of homework. Uh, you know, write this down. What it is that you are hoping to learn, and then at the end of the year, end of 2015, look back and see how you did. Um, it's a wonderful surprise. Much like the possum. <laughs> this has been Season 9. You are out of excuses. Now go right. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.